Hello seniors, welcome to Friday, April 9th. This is the song that Ryan McCord has chosen. Uh, he is captured and would like to um, hear to let him know that we are on um, our way to rescue him. So thank you, Ryan, for making your um, request. Now, moving right along, um, we are talking about the coal today. And before we get into the coal, um, the coal is a big boat. If, you, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, um, I'd have a lot of pictures to show you in class if you wouldn't mind pausing this, pulling up your internet machine, and look up uh, Coal Explosion 2000. You'll see some pretty startling pictures. But before we go into that, um, we've talked a lot about the 90s. Um, the 90s, really and truly, um, North America and the Middle East, we had a very small amount of terrorist attacks. Um, in Africa, there was Rwanda. There was the 1998 embassy attacks we talked about. There are issues in Latin America. We've talked about some before spring break um, in Yugoslavia, in Europe. Um, and so some historians will attribute this to the hopeful peace in the 90s between the Arab states and Israel. Is, is, you know, is that why there's, there is this revived potential peace? Um, and so the question I, I wanted you to think about was, is there a supply and demand of terrorism? Um, so for those of you in AP Econ, for those of you just interested in economics, kind of take that economic thought process and apply it to terrorism. I know there's a lot of talk right now about, you know, um, the economy with COVID-19. Um, and so kind of want to switch gears and take your economic brains and apply it to terrorism. Uh, and so basically, you know, if you're looking at the demand of terrorism, it's enabling groups to recruit and raise funds. All right. But in, 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 Looking at the demand of terrorism, you know, does destroying one supply um, of work does that increase? You know, increase despair. Can that allow for the um, rising of more or increase? Not rising, increase of more aspiring suppliers. So, for example, let's take Israel. Right? Let's pick on Israel um, by constantly bombing certain areas of the Gaza Strip or West Bank. Is that only infuriating more and more and more people? Um, is there a, an issue with focusing too much on the supply side of terrorism? So, you know, some historians will argue that unless you're going to, you need, it's, it's essential to work simultaneously with demand and supply side of terrorism and that part of it, you need to alleviate the hardship and project hope. And so we've talked about this multiple times and I emphasize this a lot, um, in, in m many of the operations we've looked at, but the hearts and minds of people, around the world in, in different countries. And we're, you know, this is following our, our talk with uh, General Shepro. And, you know, my question to him about, you know, will this pandemic, how will this imp in pandemic impact countries that are economically developing? You know, will there be power vacuums? And, you know, what is the role of the military, particularly the American military? Um, another problem with tar quote unquote targeting suppliers is that it in, in reinforces deep fears. So take, for example, and I know you weren't born, but we are creeping so very close to 9-11, but the xenophobic feelings in America around this time towards Arab and or people who quote unquote look Arab. And then I think another issue with uh, looking at um, focusing too much on the supply side of like the actual terror terrorist is that there's always a possibility of turning complex and deeper regional conflicts into ones that involve America and thus then taking a group of people and instead of them focusing on themselves that are focusing more on their hatred towards America. Uh, and so with that being said, 
again, I'm going to kind of anchor so much of this modern day history of my favorite war, the Soviet Afghan war. There's such a change of mindset following that war. The cold war is over 1986. We had the introduction of the counter terrorist center. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, and I don't think we, I mentioned, I, I mentioned too much time on it was in the eighties was mostly females and very much overlooked. All right. And the emphasis was this desire to look at the, to understand the psychology, to understand the religion, to look at the motivations of these various people. And so as we're creeping closer to 9-11, a constant question I want to throw out to you is, did we miss opportunities? And by we, I mean America. Was there a web that was right under our noses? Were these signs overlooked? Was there a possibility to connect this web. Was there like one string of this web that was glaringly sticking out that just wanted to be pulled, which potentially could have maybe not prevented, but downplayed the catastrophic events of 9-11. So with that being said, um, we talked about the embassy attack, strike one of three of Osama bin Laden's um, fateful goal of getting America involved in Afghanistan. And today we talk about the second, and we're gonna, I'm going to take you back to Yemen. And if you recall, on January 3rd of 2008, uh, that was the night of power, the night of Ramadan, where the uh, fiberglass skiff boat had landed and... Um, it was the goal of that was supposed to uh, blow up the Sullivans. It crash landed anyway. So, um, if you want to pause and figure out where Yemen is, uh, Yemen is a country with a very deep water port. There's lots of legends about Yemen of you know Noah's Ark maybe had land uh, Noah had landed its ark there. In uh, England left Yemen in 1976. The country was split. There was civil war. So basically, Yemen is this. This country, you know, in the end of '90s, early 2000s, is it's it's country of a lot of of, of war and history of war. So, uh, what is the coal? The coal is, and hopefully, hopefully, you've looked it up at this point. But the coal is this billion-dollar, massive missile-destroying ship. Uh, it was designed to be less visible, but if you can imagine how I just described Yemen as a country that with a history of being war-torn. This is not a boat that's uh, not visible in the port of Yemen. I mean, it's boom, it's there. Um, this boat also launched the cruise missiles for Operation Infinite Reach, which we talked about last week as well. So let's go to October 12th, 2000. And I'm pretty sure none of you were born yet. But on October 12th, 2000, about 11.15 a.m., a fiberglass boat approached. Uh, on that little fiberglass boat, there were two men. They smiled, they waved, they saluted. And one thing I want you to keep in mind is the, the symmetry and, and symbolism that, that um, Osama bin Laden must have just, gosh, like loved. I mean, this, you have this massive American boat, which is, represents everything he hates. And then this little boat, which is like in his mind, this like Muhammad, right? So, um, we have, um, uh, they drive into the boat. There's a massive shock wave. It's, uh, about literally, it's so massive, uh, about two miles away. Uh, people thought there was an earthquake. Um, one guy that's really important that we will talk about a couple of times is a man by the name Fad Alcuso, K-U-S-O. And his job was that he was supposed to be videotaping the uh, explosion. And whoops, he overslept. The explosion woke him up. We're going to arrest him here in a little bit. But before we um, arrest him, 
I want to introduce to you two very important Americans, uh, John O'Neill, high-ranking FBI agent, and Ali Soufan. I've mentioned Ali Soufan um, multiple times. He's a Lebanese guy. He's an absolute beast. Um, when they arrive, uh, uh, Ali Soufan literally immediately brings out bottles of water. I mean, he is your heart's and mind. He is a brilliant interrogator. He's written a bunch of books. Um, I recommend Googling a little bit about him as well. Uh, it's becoming quite clear to them that the Yemenis are not cooperating with the investigation. Um, it's also very aware that there's a constant threat on their lives being in Yemen. Um, you know, I didn't even mention who blew up the, the coal. Well, there's an Al Qaeda sleeper cell in in Yemen, uh, so there's definitely traces of Al Qaeda in in Yemen. Uh, so, like I said, Kuso is arrested, and the Yemenis are interrogating him. He admits that he um, gave five thousand dollars to Khalad for a new leg. leg uh, Khalad, we talked about at the Kuala Lumpur meeting. Um, he's the mastermind of the coal explosion as well as 9-11. We'll find that out later. Um, however, when Sufan finally gets his way and he's able to interrogate Kuso, uh, Kuso, and it's, it's brilliant, Sufan's, the way he does this, it's 100% hearts and mind where he talks to him in Arabic. He talks to him about the Quran where, you know, he'll, uh, Kuso will, will give a, a verse from, uh, the Quran and Sufan interrupts him and finishes it for him. And just, it just it, it, incredibly, it's incredible the way he connect, connect with these people. So, uh, Kuso basically admits that he didn't give $5,000 to Khalid, but he gave $36,000 to Khalid in Bangkok, um, after the Malaysian meeting and it was not for a new leg. And so at this point, Sufan's thinking, okay, What's going on? Why is $36,000 leaving Yemen? Is there another operation? So again, this is going back to what I said about five minutes ago is what is this web? How are all of these events interconnected? Is there one string that we could have pulled? And that's what we're going to do over the next couple of, of weeks. Um, just to, to end with two things I want to end with. I'm, I'm watching my time. The call was a big event for Osama bin Laden. I mean, this was huge. He got massive amounts of recruits. And um, the one thing too, is he didn't get an American response. He wanted America into the graveyard of empires. That was his ultimate goal. The other thing I want to end you with is a wedding um, on a higher note. Um, Osama bin Laden's 17 year old son, he arranged to wed to his friend's daughter who was 14 years old. And Osama bin Laden rented this massive hall in Kandahar. It used to be a movie theater that the Taliban had completely stripped out. Um, the women sat in a separate area, naturally. Um, Osama bin Laden opened the wedding with a poem and a tribute to the coal. Um, I think I've told you this before. He's very image savvy. Like he's very much concerned with how he looks. He had dyed his beard um, black to get rid of the gray. Um, there were two cameras filming this. However, later that evening, he did not like what um, he saw. And he actually made them replay or re-record the, um, the poem and the, the tribute to the coal. Um, so I tell you this, I end this, that the coal was, he believed, was such a great event that he actually talked about it at um, his son's wedding. So anyway, on that note, um, stay happy, stay healthy, make good choices, and see you soon.